As we continue to worship through the preaching of the Word, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. We will be looking at verses 6 through 11 this morning. Just a few chapter, or I'm sorry, just a few sermons left uh, in this uh, series on the book of Jonah. And I trust that it has been uh, as encouraging and even as challenging to you uh, as it has been to me as I've uh, studied it and prepared lessons and preached it. And uh, it's just been such a good book uh, for me and for my soul and for me to see even my need of Christ and through it. And so I trust it's been a blessing to you. As you turn to Jonah chapter 4, verse 6, may, us, may we go to the Lord one final time in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to be with us during this time to receive the instruction of His Word. Let us pray together. Father, as we come before You, as we come before Your Holy Word, as we give ourselves to it, as we recognize what it truly is that it is not the word of men, but it is surely the word of God. May we come as humble servants. May we come as those who desire to grow and to set aside our own wants and desires and even our own strengths or perceived strengths in order to receive your grace, your power, and your mercy. Father, as we consider Jonah this morning, my prayer is that we might see ourselves in this stubborn prophet. So much so that in seeing ourselves, in seeing us in our weakness and our difficulty and our stubbornness, that we would be driven all the more to the forgiveness that is offered in your son, that it would drive us to the cross of Christ. That we would lay at your feet, at the Son of God's feet, our sins, our temptations. And that as we trust in the truth of the shed blood of Christ for us, that we would experience the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. May we walk in sweet fellowship with you. We are so thankful for it. And we pray this in your name. Well, we are nearing the end of our journey with Jonah. We find ourselves in Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, in this, li- this last interaction between Jonah and God. And it is certainly an instructive one. I kept finding myself throughout the week refraining from sharing this application or this implication because there were so many as I worked through this passage. And so I trust the ones that the Spirit has led me to share with you this morning are for your good and benefit. We learned a few weeks back that God is not like us in that He does not change. God is not malleable or mutable. He does not change with the shifting of the times or sway to the fickle emotions of men. God is stable and steadfast, immovable. And it is because of this stability, this consistency and immutability that we can trust God to forgive us our sins 
when we confess our sins before Him and approach Him on the basis of His Son, Jesus Christ, and His righteousness alone. Last time when we were together, we also learned that God is not like us and that He is not easily angered. God's mercy and grace is far different than man's mercy and grace. We learned last time we were together that God needs to be provoked to anger where we need to be provoked to love. Hebrews chapter 10. That is, Jonah himself says, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And beloved, should we not be grateful for this reality? Above all, Jonah should be grateful for this reality. We left Jonah throwing somewhat of a temper tantrum in our text. Jonah has already censured God for extending mercy and grace to the Ninevites in verse 2. He has also defied the will of the Lord a second time by camping outside of the city to see if perhaps destruction will still come upon Nineveh. You see that in verse 5. Jonah is crossing his fingers and hoping to die. Literally. We should all be grateful, Jonah included, that God is not quick to anger and slow to mercy, but rather that God is slow to anger and quick to extend mercy and grace, even to the most stubborn of sinners. It is in this obstinance that God exercises His mercy toward Jonah one more time. And I imagine that this is not the last time. God does this by demonstrating His mercy to Jonah through a miraculous encounter with nature. God attempts to show Jonah the error of his ways by giving Jonah a very impactful object lesson. In our text for this morning, God slowly and tenderly and patiently leads Jonah to the realization of his own contrariness through a physical illustration. Let us read our passage for this morning together as we consider this demonstration of God's mercy to Jonah. And we'll begin to read in verse 5 of chapter 4 so that we can see the context in which God administers His grace to the prophet Jonah. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 5 with me. It says this, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his 
discomfort, or literally what that text says, is to relieve him of his evil. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plants. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well? To be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons? who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. We notice in our passages that God intentionally exercises His providence over creation in order to teach Jonah a lesson. Now we've seen this exercise of God's providence before in the book of Jonah. Remember that God providentially provided a great fish to swallow up Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. That's what it says, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Three times in our passage, we see that very same word, that word for appointed, is used. Notice it with me in Jonah chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head. Notice it in Jonah chapter 4, verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Jonah chapter 4, verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. What we learn in our text for this morning is that God is directly, hear that, God is directly involved in Jonah's life and growth as he sovereignly exercises the physical circumstances of Jonah's life in order to teach him about grace. Now we might just stop here for a second and consider God's intimate involvement and sovereign providence even in our own lives. You see, brothers and sisters, God is always directing the affairs and circumstances of our lives to bring about more maturity in grace in our inner man. And isn't that an an outstanding thing? You see, beloved, there is nothing, nothing that happens in your life that isn't sovereignly orchestrated by God for His glory and your good. 
Now let's look at these appointments and how God is going to use them to teach Jonah and us a very important lesson about grace. We see the first appointment that we find is the appointment of a plant in verse 6. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, the first fill-in there is that God appoints a plant. God appoints a plant. Notice it again, Jonah chapter 4, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might, shade, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now I'd like to make a few observations concerning this first appointment. And the first observation that I'd like to make is what kind of plant does the Lord cause to spring up over Jonah's head? Now there has been some debate as to how to properly interpret the word in Hebrew that's used here for plants. And therefore, how do we then properly identify the exact species of plant in Jonah's story. Now, for simplicity's sake, I think taking the Hebrew word here at face value is most likely and supported by several commentators. The question we have to ask ourselves here is how would the original audience have read this passage in Jonah? And what would have come to their mind as they saw this kind of plant that God appointed. The Hebrew word used here is the word for the castor oil plant. And so the plant that the Lord appoints to teach Jonah an important lesson of grace is the castor plant. Now this plant is significant for at least two reasons. And I think the original audience would have immediately recognized these two remarkable characteristics of this plant in light of the story of Jonah. The first significant aspect of this plant is that it characterizes the abundant mercy and grace of the Lord God. Secondly, it characterizes the prickly and poisonous nature of Jonah's spirit. Let's consider the first, the abundant mercy and grace of the Lord God. The Encyclopedia Britannica has this to say about the castor oil plant, and you can find this, uh, this on the insert in your bulletin. It says, the castor oil plant, also called castor bean, is a large plant of the Spurge family. In the tropics, the plants reach about 30 to 40 feet in height and bear handsome, giant, 12-lobed palmate or fan-like leaves. I have provided a picture on the insert in your bulletin for your reference. The leaves of the castor plant would have provided ample shade for Jonah. This is significant because we see that the Lord Himself doubles the protection of Jonah from the blazing sun as Jonah waits in his stubborn disobedience. 
We learn in verse 5 that Jonah has already created a booth or a temporary shelter for himself. Notice Jonah chapter 4 verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah has provided for himself temporary relief from this hot and dry climate, but it would have been a paltry effort at best. The Lord, in the abundance of His mercy and grace, comes along and provides above and beyond what Jonah deserves. Because Jonah deserves none of it. Jonah deserves no relief here. And yet the Lord used the castor plant to ease Jonah's discomfort. Or more literally, to deliver him from his evil. The castor plant provided ample shade for Jonah as he was suffering from the heat. And we see that Jonah is fully relieved from his hardship. Jonah chapter 4 verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In the midst of Jonah's disobedience, the Lord sends a way to rescue him, even from himself. Again, beloved, we might immediately think of Christ here, who, when we were still sinners and enemies of the cross, died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Just like Jonah, God extended His grace to us in Christ while we were stubborn and disobedient. What a gracious God we serve. The relief to Jonah was temporary, but the relief from Christ is eternal. And even though this relief is merely temporary for Jonah, it still shows that this slight respite is a gift from the Lord that reflects the gift of God for those who put their trust and confidence in Christ. Now for the Lord to respond in this way demonstrates His amazing mercy and long-suffering. I mean, how many of us at this point would have responded to Jonah in this way? How many of us would have looked at Jonah in this situation and said, you know what, I think I'm going to double your comfort while you wait to defy my will. I'm not sure that I would have, apart From the Lord Jesus Christ Himself working abundantly in my own heart. Naturally, at this point, I think I would have been pretty fed up with Jonah. If it were me, I think at this point, I would say to Jonah, Fine, Jonah. If you want to sulk and suffer in the heat, be my guest. Does that sound familiar maybe to the way you might respond to Jonah? Or possibly even the way you might respond to someone in your life. But beloved, be assured, it is not the way that the Lord responds. Amen? 
He takes this opportunity and Jonah's obstinance to teach him a lesson about God's grace. There was nothing in Jonah that warranted God's grace, just the opposite. And this was the same grace that the Lord had just extended to Nineveh and that he extends to you and to me. The castor oil plant perfectly demonstrates the absolute abundance of God's mercy and grace even to sinners. But I think the castor plant represents something else as well. Notice what else the Encyclopedia Britannica says about the castor plant. Again, you can see it on the insert in your bulletin. It says the bristly, spined, bronze to red cluster of fruits are attractive, but often are removed before they mature because of the ricin concentrated in their mottled bean-like seeds. This oil-rich seeds contains the poison ricin, one of the most toxic substances known. And consumption of chewed seeds may be lethal. Now, I've included a picture in your bulletin insert of the fruit of the castor plant, but I do not believe that this picture does it justice. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, maybe the only time, certainly the first time, I've asked you to pull out your phones in a service. If you have your phone this morning, go ahead and pull it out. Do a Google search on the castor plant fruit, the castor plant fruit, and you can see for yourself this morning how bright red and hot and prickly the fruit of the castor plant is. But not only that, the seeds are toxic and poisonous and lethal. All right, now you can put your phones away. But beloved, what a lesson we learn here. How good and sovereign the Lord in this demonstration to Jonah. What Jonah was not quick to see that I believe the original audience would have saw, and I pray that we see this morning, was that the bitterness that Jonah harbored deep inside at the very roots of his character against Nineveh was toxic. The castor plant was certainly a providential message to Jonah. If only he might see it. But he couldn't see it. Because the poison of his own hatred anesthetized him to the danger. Beloved, this is why we see so many warnings in Scripture concerning bitterness, hatred, and anger. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says this, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Jesus Himself, in light of His perfect nature and in anticipation of our union with Him, said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What God is seeking to teach Jonah here this morning as well as to us is that Jonah was as desperately in need of God's grace as the Ninevites. And so are we. Beloved, we need to be saved from our anger and from our hatred and from our bitterness. Beloved, what did bitterness ever profit a man except to be sitting outside of a city in the desert heat, hoping and wishing for a fate to come upon his enemies that would never come because the Lord was not in it. Hatred, anger, and bitterness gets us nowhere. And it causes the utmost harm upon our own spirits. This is the lesson that the Lord is teaching Jonah, and I pray is teaching us this morning. If you are harboring bitterness towards someone, anyone, the Spirit of Christ is calling you to put to death that which is earthly in you and to embrace the love and forgiveness that is yours in Christ Jesus. Beloved, we have an advantage this morning that Jonah did not have, but that Jonah anticipated. We have the Lord Jesus who while being crucified by his enemies, cried out to the Lord God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, we see here that the Spirit of Christ is far removed from the Spirit of Jonah. Jonah is wasting away in bitterness toward his enemies. Christ was made alive through sacrifice for his enemies. May we embrace the work of Christ for us this morning and forgive those who have wronged us, even if, especially if, they are sitting next to you this morning or somewhere within your vicinity. How much more, beloved, should we forgive one another in light of what Christ has forgiven us? Look to the cross and be reminded of what Jesus has secured for you. But there's a second and third appointment that we see in our text for this morning. Not only does the Lord appoint this plant to demonstrate the extent of His abundant mercy and grace and also the spirit of Jonah, He also appoints a worm and wind. Again, if you are following along in the bulletin in your insert, that is the second and third fill-in for you. The Lord appoints a worm and wind. Notice it with me in Jonah chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. It says this, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is bitter for me to die than to live. 
What we find in our text is that the Lord appoints both a worm and wind to teach Jonah a lesson about his own need of God's grace. One commentator said on this passage, you can find the comment in the insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. He said this, step by step, God's education of the prophet continued. Having prepared the vine as he prepared the great fish, God then prepared a worm. It may refer to the black caterpillar that abounds in the Nineveh region. The next clause, which chewed the vine so that it withered, shows the devastating action of the worm. The destructive effect of worms on many types of vegetation is well known. Combining the effect of the worm with the torrid heat would cause a plant to wither quickly, even to die without divine intervention. And yet God has also provided and prepared a scorching east wind. He goes on to say, losing precious shade in this harsh environment was one matter for Jonah. Experiencing this horrible wind was yet another. Most identify this wind as the Sirocco. When this wind is experienced in the Near East, the temperature rises dramatically and the humidity drops quickly. It is a constant and extremely hot wind that contains fine particles of dust. The Septuagint translates it succinctly as a scorcher. Both of these sovereignly appointed turn of events were intended by the Lord to teach Jonah a very pertinent lesson concerning his own character. Much like the worm had devoured the plants, and much like the constant wind brought about exhaustion and despair, so Jonah's spirit, if maintained, would mean his spiritual death. Beloved, what Jonah needs here is a transformation. He needs to see himself for who he truly is. He needs to see the depths of his depravity. Beloved, he needs to see that he prefers plants over people. And God uses a very ordinary means in the midst of this extraordinary circumstance to help Jonah see. God simply asks Jonah a question. We have been learning a lot about the power of asking questions in our Sunday school hour. And what we see here in Jonah is that that is God's approach. That God simply asks Jonah a question. Notice it with me in Jonah chapter 4 verse 9. It says this, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plants? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant." For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, 
which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now this question mimics the question that God asked Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, after Jonah questions God. Again, you can see it in Jonah chapter 4 verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, of course, for both questions, the answer is implied. The answer is no. Absolutely not. Jonah has no right to be angry. And the reasons are obvious, at least to God and possibly even to us. Why does Jonah have no right to be angry? Because the value of the life of the Ninevites far outweighed the value of the temporary life of the plants. The grass would wither. And certainly the Ninevites would pass away as, all, as well. But the grass would pass on into non-existence. Whereas the Ninevites would pass on to a Christless eternity. Should God be praised and should Jonah not be angry but instead rejoice because God gave the people of Nineveh an opportunity to repent and be saved? And the answer is yes, absolutely, amen. Not because the Ninevites deserved it, but because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Furthermore, should God be glorified in the raising up of a plant for Jonah's relief? Yes, certainly. But shouldn't he be all the more glorified for granting mercy to the Ninevites? All 120,000 of them, and also much cattle. Is it an injustice that the life of the plant was cut short? Possibly. But isn't it even more an injustice for Jonah to keep back an opportunity for the Ninevites to experience God's grace and be spared from God's wrath to live another day? Again, not because they deserved it, but because it demonstrated the absolute mercy and grace of God. You see, beloved, what is at stake here is an opportunity for God to be glorified in the salvation of the Ninevites. What is at stake here is for God's character to be clearly seen. And lift it up on a podium for all to see because God extends His grace and mercy even to the worst of sinners. You see, beloved, and this might be harsh, but Jonah doesn't merely hate the Ninevites here. He hates God's grace. Jonah has no right to be angry. Rather, he should be Rejoicing. 
Again, before we give Jonah too hard of a time here, how often have we preferred personal comfort over gospel confrontation? How often have we shied away from sharing the bad news of God's judgment, followed up by the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ, because we feared the personal onslaught that might come as a result? How often have we chosen possessions or positions over being faithful to Christ and His call on our life? Beloved, how often have we chosen plants over people? Now, I don't say this to judge or to condemn you. I say this in order that you might see your own need of God's redemption. Oh, what a simple question can do to help us see our own need for Christ. And that is exactly what God employs here in his interaction with Jonah. Do we fall short of the glory of God? On a regular basis. And therefore, we need both the redemption that is found in Jesus, but also the power to do that which God has called us to do. Brothers and sisters, each one of us are called to put to death the old man and to embrace the Spirit of Christ within us. That very same Spirit who for joy endured the cross, despising the shame. Each one of us are called to identify with that very one who resides within us, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself of his divine comfort and took on the form of a suffering servant. Beloved, each one of us are called to continually put on Christ. And as we do, we will find ourselves consistently choosing people over plants. We will find ourselves setting aside the comforts of this world in order that we might proclaim Jesus to our neighbors and to our friends and to our children and to our spouses, and to our loved ones. What we find in our passage is not only a lesson for Jonah. What we find in our passage is a lesson for us. May we trust in Christ this morning for the relief that He only offers to our withering souls. And as we do, May we find that the blessing of God is extended to all those whom we come into contact with on a regular basis. May God do His work in and through us to those around us. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for Your grace towards us. We're so thankful for this word from Jonah. Ultimately, this word from you through the prophet Jonah. 
As we recount His life, Lord, may we use it as an opportunity for us to see our own need of grace. Father, in so doing, may we cry out for the mercy that only You can provide. May we cry out for the grace that only You can provide. As we go about our days, as we leave this place and we seek to love our children and our wives and husbands and our mothers and fathers and our co-workers and our co-students, Father, would You use the Spirit of Christ powerfully within us. And as we identify with Him, might we set aside the comforts that this world offers in order that we might reap a bountiful harvest in the time to come. Father, we are so thankful for Your grace towards us. And we pray this in Your name. Amen.